Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique specialist fertility and women's health practice, caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class holistic medical care, including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new state-of-the-art Caulfield practice. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr Radia Lou on the socials. Welcome to Knocked Up, a podcast about fertility, pregnancy and women's health. I'm your host, Jordi Morrison, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Rayleigh Alou, CREI Fertility Specialist, Gynecologist and Director of Women's Health Melbourne. A bit of a different episode of The Sex Tapes today, we're joined by both sexologist Chantelle Lotton and Dora Pandaloglu, a pelvic physiotherapist who works with Chantelle to achieve great outcomes for their patients. Today, we're talking about our most queried sexual concern, vaginismus. And as I learned in our previous episode with Chantel, vaginismus is experienced by one in five women. Raylia, let's start with you. From a physiological point of view, what is vaginismus? Vaginismus is when tightening of the pelvic floor causes sexual pain. And it is a problem that is encountered in various domains and in various situations. There's not always a cause that can be identified, but frequently there is. And triggers can be as broad as a previous adverse sexual or psychological experience causing a reflex protective tightening of the pelvic floor that's outside of a woman's control or it can be triggered by previous physical pain relating to gynecological concerns, physiological concerns like the pain um, of the menstrual cycle or because of a disease process such as endometriosis or any previous surgery that has caused pelvic pain. And that can also be after an infection, so for example of sexually transmitted conditions and pelvic pain can also happen after non-gynecological surgery like for example for appendicitis. So it's it's a broad category really and it's a broad spectrum of women who experience vaginismus but often it relates to the inability to tolerate uh, and certainly to enjoy sexual penetration and also can relate to functional concerns like difficulty inserting a digit, a tampon or a menstrual cup. What is so wonderful about this episode is that we have three specialists each explaining how they would approach this condition and provide holistic treatment for their patient. I'm going to guess that someone would see a gynaecologist first about this. Is that how patients would then come to you, Chantelle and Dora? From my perspective, no. Um, I think that they might have seen their GP 
Um, but a lot of a lot of my patients actually haven't seen a gynae, so that's something that Dora and I make sure that we incorporate to um, eliminate any other kind of causes from a physiological point of view. A lot of people self-refer because they've heard us talking about this topic and just haven't really understood that sex isn't meant to be painful, you know, or that you are a, you should be able to put a tampon inside your vagina. I think that they've just realized after a period of time that, hey, maybe I'm not functioning the way that everyone else is. Maybe there is something that is kind of underlying here and maybe it just shouldn't be this you know stinging when I'm having sex or I should be able to penetrate so yeah I get a lot of self-referrals and um, I get a lot of referrals just because I put this information out into the world I would say that from GPs we also get a lot of referrals but I think it actually doesn't often go straight to the gynecologist unfortunately I I don't know what your thoughts are Raylia but I think that a lot of that gets missed I've got a bit of a skewed perspective probably because the majority of my practice is as a fertility specialist and I help people get pregnant when they're having trouble. So I've moved away from general gynecology in, in many ways. Um, even though at Women's Health Melbourne we have um, Dr. Sippy Benharim who's a clinical gynecologist who does a lot of general gynecology. My patients who I see with vaginismus are often struggling to conceive and struggling to even try to conceive um, or wanting a get around so they don't have to try to conceive in the conventional mm. way. Uh, and so that that's the context that I see a lot of patients. And so in terms of my goals and their goals for themselves, one of them is often helping them have a baby. But the reason I like to refer these patients to you is because they also deserve, like we all do, to have a pleasurable and meaningful sex life. And intimacy is quite important in terms of relationships, particularly with their partner, as well as just the functional aspects of baby making. And, you know, while a gynecologist can diagnose an underlying physical problem and we can manipulate hormonal managements in couples who are not, or in women who are not trying to have a baby, because a lot of the hormonal treatments for things like endometriosis can stop endometriosis from progressing. It doesn't cure endometriosis and it can give symptomatic relief to patients who have endometriosis when they have cyclic pain that might be a trigger to their vaginismus but when you're trying to have a baby you got to ovulate you got to release an egg so um, stopping that from happening is really kind of very counterintuitive in in my particular group of patients so you know and I would throw it throw it over to Dora to tell us about your expertise because really I can identify the problem per se, but I can't necessarily be there to offer the support that women need to guide them through that self-led um, recovery from vaginismus that requires that professional guidance from a pelvic floor physio. Yeah, absolutely. Like I find since working with Chantel, I see a lot of Chantel's patients that get self-referrals, um, referrals from gynecologists. And what's been amazing is I'm getting heaps of referrals from GPs as well. GPs are asking the right questions. They're asking, why are you getting pain? Or say, 
especially from a pap smear. You know, a pap smear is not supposed to be painful and that's a big trigger for a GP to then refer onwards and they're referring, I'm finding, to the right places. But I am getting, and I'm sure Chantel can agree, you know, patients that are either trying to conceive or are, you know, have had it for so long and they just think this is normal pain or inability to penetrate or partial penetration is just a normal part of functioning essentially and they just try and do everything they can um, without and you hear stories and I'm sure Chantel can also agree and Raylia can agree that you know couples have been together for 10 15 years they've been married and they've never been able to succeed in penetration and it's um and they just feel like no one can help me so it's such an amazing thing that we're almost knocking down that wall of not speaking about it and talking about the, this such a such an important and relevant topic for you know women between the ages of I see women from ages 19 through to their 50s essentially so that's a it's a really common condition that can happen to, to one in five as Chantel mentioned I know in a previous podcast or um to women. So in terms from a pelvic floor perspective and from a physio perspective, we work on the pelvic floor, that physicality of the pelvic floor, but also the, the mind and the body. Because at the end of the day, it's about how the muscles are responding in relation to potential threat or potential harm because of maybe something that has happened before or gynecological or or it could be completely unrelated or abdominal surgeries or, or something like that. So every treatment is different and absolutely individualized according to the client's needs. You know, it really depends on their functional goals as well. Some of them don't want, you know, I have clients that I see that are um, don't want to achieve penetration at all. They're in, you know, a female relationship and they all they want to do is be able to insert tampons or be able to have a, you know, a pain, um, not a painful pap smear. So depending on those functional goals and they're working with Chantel and working with um, someone such as Raylia to help it relax these muscles in a way that they respond a lot better so this can include um, I do a lot of we talk about breathing techniques muscle relaxation therapy of the pelvic floor we talk about um, we I teach people how to do a self-release of these muscles as well and then if they're able to then dilate a training and that works through stages of progressive dilators to try and not stretch the muscles that's what we're not trying to achieve we're trying to help relax the mind and the body um and that's where Chantel and I work really well together because it it is that holistic approach to therapy yeah it's important to from a physical point of view realize that you can push a baby out of a vagina so the vagina is very capacious and you know it's not a physical barrier often that that can be overcome so it's it's also something that a surgeon can't necessarily correct it's about kind of getting the control back and the conscious control back. Um, and it's something we take for granted. Women who can have penetrative sex take for granted that that's actually to some degree on our terms. And I think women who have vaginismus, they've lost that control and they've lost that confidence in themselves. So it's about training them to do something really difficult. I almost think it's like, for example, learning to walk again after an injury or, you know, or having after a surgery, rehab. 
you know, that that's kind of the same category that I think of when I talk about vaginismus to patients. Dora, can you talk to us a little bit about what you physically would, what would, it, what would a consultation involve? Because, you know, patients with vaginismus, as you say, have often been suffering for a really long time. And, you know, they would have, you know, one of the barriers that they didn't seek help sooner was probably some degree of fear and shame and, you know, kind of distrust in the fact that anyone can help them. So what would a first consultation with you involve for a patient I refer? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's a one-hour consultation and the probably the first half an hour to 40 minutes, depending on, is, get, is gathering history. So we're working out any previous abdominal surgeries, any previous surgeries in general, history of trauma, and it could be trauma, yes, it could be obvious physical abuse or sexual abuse, but it could be other things that have happened, any life situations, and also working out if this has been happening from the moment they initially started um, attempting penetration or tampons, or is this started, you know, halfway through, um, and it can be either either. So and a really important history taking is essential to determine that client-centred and and tailored care. Then after that, if the patient feels okay and obviously if consent's given, then a pelvic floor internal examination is undertaken. Now, I always stress to the patient that it's not like a pap smear that they've had in the, say they've had a painful pap smear. I always stress that this is something that you are in control. You, you know, you are, this is not something that I want it to be painful. I'm just going to have a look at what the muscles are doing when I do an internal, just one digit finger examination examination just to assess if these muscles are responding um, and they're and they're reacting or they're actually quite relaxed and pretty 80% of the time I can do this assessment to patients and they just then and there they are like oh my goodness I've never I didn't think I thought this would be painful so it just again as Rayleigh was saying it asserts confidence in the patient then we do a specific assessment on their pelvic floor because as we know the pelvic floor muscles are a group of muscles they're not just one muscle so the bulbocavenosus muscle, which is that entrance muscle, it's a, it's a circular muscle. So when it reacts, it kind of tightens up. Um, so I'm just seeing the tension and, and kind of tone and reaction. And also I'm looking at um, expression of their face. I'm looking at tone and tension of their abdominals, you know, anything like that as well. And then we're looking at the internal pelvic floor muscles and also the hip muscles too, because we want to assess is, is it vaginismus or is it something else? Is it dyspareunia where it's a little bit more inside of the pelvic floor so that differential diagnosis is really important and then from there I do a mini treatment and I actually you know we focus on breathing so I talk about the importance of diaphragmatic breathing and then we try and do breathing while we're doing the assessment and you can just see the patient's expression of how the muscles just relax with the breathing so it kind of gives a lot of confidence in oh okay this therapy is going to work and then we talk about pelvic floor down training exercises so I kind of do a treatment in the session and then I give them exercises to go home with that are all external so I don't do any internal work and and we focus on goal setting as well what do they want to achieve so everything's tailored um, and specific and then 
because vaginismus is something that we want to, you know, treat in kind of a group of sessions, I like to see them a week later to 10 days later. And then it really depends if I feel as though, which majority of time it's, I feel like there's a lot of psychological um, response, then Chantel's definitely someone I refer to, to co-treat with me and us working in unison, you know, is, is so important. And we treat majority of our patients together as opposed to separate as well. Um, and I find that's the best treatment response. Chantelle, why do you think the pelvic floor, I mean, compared to any other muscle group that a physio might be called upon to assist in remedying a concern, why do you think the pelvic floor has such a psychological bent to it in terms of how we respond? Honestly, I think that it's just the tension of women gets held in that area that is just below the belly button. So we sometimes feel it in our lower abs. And I can often pick vaginismus patients when I look at them because they have really tight shoulders as well. So when we have that fear of of anything or if we're anxious or if we're stressed, we have the fight, flight or freeze and it's our shoulders and our pelvic floors that contract. Um, And that is you know, it's really easy to spot those patients. So they, I often laugh that with them and say, you know what, I kind of had an idea because when you came in, you were talking about how you had really low desire. They didn't come in talking about painful sex. It's something that I pick up on or that I ask about during the session. And then we figure out, well, their desire is low because sex just isn't fun for them. It's really hard to desire an erotic experience, it's causing so much pain. And so I can tell that their shoulders are often really tight as well. And they lose a lot of energy when they're holding the tension in their pelvic floor and in their shoulders. They're getting sore, they're getting tired, their mood is going down, their libido is going down. And it's really my job to work as a detective to help unravel a lot of that. In fact, a lot of the time we don't even talk about sex during those sessions. We talk about what is making them feel so tense. And I think um, I can agree with Chantel, the shoulders are a big one and also jaw. And there's actually a lot of pelvic floor studies that suggest anyone with TMJ or jaw problems have pelvic floor dysfunction as well. So a lot of the cues and prompts I give for, for clients of mine that I'm finding that they just can't relax their pelvic floor, then I just say, okay, relax your jaw or get. Um, I'm going to get you to do some jaw massage and some shoulder massage. And I actually do some dry needling around that area if we're really not getting anywhere with their pelvic floor as well. So it's about thinking outside the box and, yeah, determining those are determining factors of where people hold their tension, I can definitely agree. Pelvic floor, shoulders and back and a lower abdominal area. Dora, what's the difference between dry needling and acupuncture? (laughs) That's a really good question. So dry needling um, works on the trigger points of particular muscle groups. So it's very specific to do with musculoskeletal feeling and um, feeling those tight points. And then it's essentially releasing the tension of those tight points. And what the needle does is release chemicals within essentially the muscle that helps relax the muscle itself. It's like an extension I always say to patients it's an extension of massage so it gets those trigger points whereas acupuncture works on meridians works it's a lot more Chinese medicine focused so there's a benefit to 
both. And I, you know, I find anyone with endometriosis or pelvic pain, I love them getting referred to acupuncturists as well for that holistic management, because I think working all together as a unit is is so important. So there are physios that do do acupuncture, but it's important that they are completely different things. And acupuncture works on those meridians and and different different points um, and more um, visceral points as opposed to um, muscles where those where those where the dry needling points are. So Dora, we as gynecologists have a very difficult group of patients to treat who have pelvic pain mm. where there is no physical pathology anymore. So for example, a patient who's had endometriosis and the endometriosis has been surgically excised, but those pathways of pain have been activated and the treatment of the condition doesn't necessarily cure the pain. Uh, Can you talk to us about the role of a a physio in patients with that presentation? Absolutely. So we know pain that's persistent for, you know, three or more months. Um, They say three to six months essentially is classified as persistent or chronic pain. And that's where you get a sensual sensitization. So what that means is although the actual condition, for example, endometriosis has been eliminated, there's still nerve endings and and the the body still is reminded that there's pain there so therefore although there's no pathology there there's still painful points there so what we know is there are actual um so we as i you know as i said with the vaginismus assessment we do a pelvic floor internal pelvic floor examination and we actually work out that there's lots of trigger points inside of the vagina um, in those pelvic floor and in the deep hip muscles that play a huge point to pain. So as a pelvic floor physio, we work on those and we work on helping to relax that mind and that body and release that tension as well, not just from a physiological point of view, but also a psychological point of view too. Exercise, Mm. also nutrition, you know, I always believe in referring to a naturopath or a dietitian as well to help manage. But exercise is so important. I say to all my clients with any sort of pelvic pain, they should be participating in 30 minutes of moderate activity, moderate exercise every day because they need to be training their mind and their body. They should be doing meditation or mindfulness. And I'm sure Chantel can agree with that. And then you know, pelvic stretches. I love your, I give yoga stretches to all my patients because I know that there's a huge breathing component to that too. So, and it's just Again, education is key. So it's about, you know, reminding the patient, okay, because a lot of um, patients say there's nothing, like I don't understand, you know, every all my endometriosis is gone. Why am I still in chronic pain? So it's about educating. Your pain is real. Like this is a real thing and we're going to make sure and we're going to fix your pain. So that, because I'm sure you can agree, Raylia, you've probably seen a lot of women with second or third opinions um, that they've had three, four, five um, abdo like laparoscopic surgeries and they're still in discomfort and and they wonder why and no one's actually told them why they're in pain so mm. um, but yeah from a physio perspective we work on that physiological but also tailoring it to the, the mind as well yeah and I would say that in gynecology you know pain management is not really part of the gynecological specialty so yeah. you know mm. women women may assume that they come and see a gynecologist to kind of like be the captain of the ship. But actually our role to play is only part of the bigger picture. 
and particularly in in scenarios like vaginismus and pelvic pain and you know we talked about vaginismus affecting one in five women over their lifetime and endometriosis affecting one in ten women over their lifetime and that's overrepresented actually in the fertility population because in in my practice I would say it's it's more like one in three that will have some degree of endometriosis given that they've subselected themselves out of the population to try and have a baby and have struggled because um, it's a really common condition yeah. in the general population but as a gynecologist with endometriosis we can treat it physically in terms of excising disease uh, which can be effective more so for some than others it can be quite a a ravaging and and quite unforgiving disease and and you know most of the time we treat rather than cure endometriosis because there's always going to be microscopic deposits that are around the pelvis that you cannot necessarily see surgically and over years they can come back with with menstrual cyclicity and that's why people do often with a purely surgical approach have operation after operation after operation and we really want to avoid that as much as possible actually particularly for fertility uh, you know we want to preserve fertility and we want to preserve it firstly not by cutting out parts of the ovary multiple times with endometrioma surgery and we also want to preserve it because every operation uh, can you know be more complicated than the one before because of surgical issues like scarring and we, we want to make sure that patients don't go from the stage one disease you know to the stage four disease before they've had their family because that can make it really, really difficult. So the goal of a gynecologist is often for someone who's not trying to conceive to suppress that menstrual cycle and we do that using hormones and mm. we do it not as a cure, it's to try and give the patient alleviation of symptoms as much as is physically possible and also to halt the progress of disease while the woman is young so that by the time she's ready to have a family that she can and that her pelvis hasn't progressed to the point that it would otherwise do without any medical or hormonal intervention. So mm. it's kind of like a long play from my perspective because I, I treat every day in my practice patients who've had surgery after surgery who still have stage 3 or stage 4 endometriosis and who need IVF as a get around and that IVF is not easy because if your pelvic anatomy is not normal, yeah. you know, the risk of having a complication from an IVF surgery like an egg collection is much, much higher. And if your ovaries have been destroyed by endometriomas, your ovarian reserve and egg count, as well as egg quality because of the inflammatory nature of the disease is much, much worse. So one thing I often do offer young women who have endometriosis is egg freezing, and it can be in the long time uh, or the long term a really beneficial option for them. And for that group of patients who do have endometriosis, it's Medicare eligible. Mm. So it's something to think about. And, and women are not always thinking about that when they're in their early 20s, which is often when they present. But I can tell you that when they're in their late 30s, they you know, would love to tap themselves as their own fairy godmother on the shoulder and say, thank you very much for having thought of that prospectively. So it's something mm. that that I would always raise awareness of as well. But in terms of physically helping them, like physically helping them in the moment mm. in terms of their symptoms and in terms of their psychology and their sexuality and their quality of life, you know, a gynecologist can only do so much, I would yeah. say. And I think, you know, just like 
pelvic pain can be caused by physical symptoms. It can also be associated with psychological symptoms. And I think for all of us in this group here, the main part of our job is actually just education because a lot of these patients get overwhelmed with what is going on and the words that are thrown at them around their diagnosis, the words around endo, the words around vaginismus, they know they've got it. They don't actually know what it is or they don't know how to treat it, or they might have gone through pelvic floor physiotherapy but gone, you know what, I reached the the biggest dilator, I'm done now. And they just drop off all of their therapies, they drop off all their self-care, and they regress backwards into a place where that cycle of pain comes back. And, I mean, when we go through any kind of traumatic experience, whether it be a surgery, whether it be vaginismus or physical or sexual abuse, our brains learn to suppress certain emotions in order to protect us from more harm. So when we're kind of doing the treatment like dilators, we really are medicalizing our, you know, vulvas, our vaginas a lot. And that's really my job to make sure that that's not a medicalized area and that we find some pleasure in that and that it's not as hard and tedious as it needs to be. And if we don't kind of work through those, those emotions and work through that stress, it can manifest in our body as pain. So it's an unconscious response that requires a lot of conscious effort to overcome. And I think that we have to put it all into perspective and, you know, really make sure that we're supporting our patients through that cumbersome process of being diagnosed and being treated as well because with an ongoing cycle of pain, um, the pelvic pain can lead to an increase in our emotional distress, our anxiety, our stress, our depression, which leads to an increase in pain, which again leads to further increase in our stress. So it's really just this rolling snowball of difficulty unless we're really treating it properly. A good way to look at it would be if you broke your leg while you were skiing, as a result, you begin to avoid skiing and you even think about it and it makes you tense up. It makes you feel really nervous, a bit queasy. Um, and even though your injury is healed and maybe your leg is fixed, you still start to experience pain in your leg because it's not caused by the injury anymore. It's caused by the messages from your brain reminding you of that past trauma. So acute pain is like when you burn yourself on the stove and that's very different because that's telling you, hey, warning, this is not a a great place for you to be putting your hand whereas chronic pain like that ongoing pain isn't really useful and it really only gets in the way of your life so that's my job to break that cycle of pain from a psychological point of view and get you back to living a pain-free life I was just about to say, just talking about um, dilators and making it relatable and functional, and one of the biggest things is I've seen, you know, patients that have seen, you know, other pelvic floor physios for treatment, and I always ask them, what, like, what therapy have you done before? And they're like, oh, I did these awful glass dilators that I hated so much. And I'm like, okay, why did you hate them? Did you understand why you were doing them? No, not really. Um, so I'm like, okay, so Chantel, you know, and obviously my work with Chantel has been amazing because now it's all about kind of the even I know it sounds so basic but women love the look of things too so you know the dilators need to look beautiful and they need to feel soft and they need to feel like you know they need to be pleasurable and then I always say to them okay are you using any external stimulation are you feeling aroused at 
all? Are you, you know, because we know that feeling aroused helps with the natural lubrication of the vagina, helps with the, the opening and the relaxation of the pelvic floor muscles. So it's making, making them really functional and relating to the goals, which is pain-free pleasure, pain-free intercourse. Um, and then working with Chantel to, to increase that pleasure even more, I think is very important. And to have a little bit of fun, to be honest, to break the cycle of all this down, negative, you know, talk and just actually making it a little bit more enjoyable. You know, doing your dilators when you're watching Netflix, when you're having a bath, listening to music, you know, making sure that we have some breathing, that we enjoy our yoga poses and that we can have a bit of a laugh at this experience. It isn't very fun, but we're going to be able to get past yeah, sorry. I was just saying, I saw Chantel's got some erotic stories now on the, <laughs> on the podcast. I'm listening to it. <laughs> no, I, have, I, I haven't listened to them yet. I, I will. Well, I have, but then again, I'm alone in isolation, so I've listened. I'm going to tell my patients now to listen to them during their dilator therapy because, like, it's context. You You want to simulate what the actual goal is, which is to have have, you know, kind of an erotic experience with comfort. So why would you do dilator therapy in a cold clinical way? Like I would say encourage patients to have fun with it and relax with it and enjoy it as a kind of a a gateway to sexual pleasure rather than a medicalized technique. Yeah. Rayleigh, they need to feel sexy. They need to feel, you know, confident in their body as well. I even say, you know, yeah, find an environment that feels good for you. Have a bath before you do them, you know, set up your environment. And then when, you know, when they reflect back, say they have pain on one particular day, even though they use the same dilator as another, I'm like, what was different? What did you do before? What, like, what was, what was different in the context? And then them identifying what they, you know, found pleasurable and what they didn't makes a huge difference. So, yeah. Chantel, when patients have a negative sexual experience, how, what kind of things do you do to help them turn that around? When they've had this, this pervasive chronic condition that's caused them to really think of sex as painful, what, what do you do to turn that Look, around? A lot of it is to do with normalisation and a lot of it is working with them and their partners around this topic. So making sure that they don't, again, feel alone within their own erotic experiences. And, you know, do they have any eroticism in their life? Because, sure, a lot of them are able to have sex. Does that mean that sex is fun? Probably not when they're having pain. Does it mean that they're enjoying it and they're wanting to have it? Probably not. They're just doing it because they feel like they need they need to. So I really work a lot around the context um, of why they're having sex. I talk a lot about their messages around sex. So when they think about sex, what are the words, what are the images, what are the associations that come to mind? You know, can we find some positivity there for that? I really talk to them about stripping back their sex life and not being goal orientated with penetration and with orgasm because they're just trying to push through the pain so that their erotic partner can have a good time. And at the end of the day, if you're having a lot of pain, if you're crying during sex and just going, you know what, just keep going, it'll be fine. Your partner, if it's someone with a penis, will probably get erectile dysfunction because they don't want to be causing you pain. A lot of the time vaginismus can lead to other types of sexual concerns and it becomes a real snowball effect. So really trying to unravel that and work out how do we have 
fun sensuality without putting the pressure on to have to perform, to have to have penetration and to be able to fit into this mainstream look of what sex looks like in the media, in movies, in pornography. Do you think the way that sex is talked about, thought about and the number of couples that are now presenting for help has changed as our society has changed? Yeah. I am seeing so many more people coming to me to talk about sexual pain because there's awareness around the topic now. Whereas I would say it's been really, really hard in previous years to find articles, to find people talking about their own relatable experiences around having difficult sex lives and around having pain with sex, you know. And unfortunately, I'm in a bubble where I've been talking about it for years, you know, for eight years or so, every single day I talk about vaginismus. And I get caught out sometimes because, for example, I went on a podcast uh, that I did maybe a year and a half ago and the women were just talking to me about difficulties with sex or what a sexologist does and I said you know one thing that we really need to talk about that people don't talk about is when sex is painful and this condition called vaginismus and the girl that I was talking to had to stop the podcast and went and vomited in the bathroom because she it was the first time that someone had spoken about that topic with her and she had been having painful sex for nine years and didn't actually realize that there was a condition behind it and she had endometriosis so she just said she had felt she felt like she was hit by a bus and she had never been told about this condition so I really think that even in the past year I've seen a huge increase in people being made aware of this topic and I feel really proud to be part of that movement and to have such an amazing team and you know resources like this podcast to be able to highlight this topic and go you know what you don't have to have pain with sex and you're not the only one who's got that I bet you each one of us would know quite a few people that have had painful sex and they have overcome Mm, it yeah yeah you know and have successfully kind of got to their goals and it's kind of you know perfect can be the enemy of good it's not like you can necessarily go from having severe vaginismus, you know, overnight to being completely pain-free. It's a yeah. journey. Dora, can you tell us about how that kind of support looks? Like, you know, we talked about a first appointment, but really to successfully help someone overcome vaginismus and pelvic pain in, as a physio, you would have a longitudinal relationship. Absolutely. And I do say, you know, this could be something because the the <laughs> 99% of women ask, how long is this going to take for, you know, me to get better or me to have pain-free sex or, you know, me to enjoy sex? And I, the first thing, and I say to Chantel, um, I'm sure Chantel can agree, is when sex is painful, I tell them to stop having penetrative intercourse and start enjoying outer course. And that's something that Chantel and the girls teach them um, in a lot more detail, how to feel aroused and feel pleasure and feel intimate with their partner. So at least they're still, they're not, you're not taking the pleasure out of that intimacy because I think that's the, that's the important thing. Because I always say 
that we're going to take intercourse off the cards until you and I are both happy with you know, starting to add it into the equation. Um, so it could be something that it re- and it really depends how long they've had it for. And, you know, people that have had it for, women that have had it for 7 to 10 to 12 years, which I get, it's going to take a lot longer than, you know, 3 to 4 to 5 months. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be there for the long haul. So as I was saying before, you know, the first consultation is absolutely key for that progressive and, you know, keeping people engaged with the, the therapy, I think, really really important you have to not make it a chore it has to be something that they enjoy and they are seeing results because if they don't see the results rehab it could be anything you could do a musculoskeletal injury an ACL you could break a leg you know you are I always say it's never going to be a smooth like smooth road ahead it's always going to be a little bit rocky with a few little pitfalls because you know we're humans and life gets in the way and you know we just have to there's, there's clients that I've said, all right, we're going to have a month off. We're going to have a month off therapy. We're going to have a month off pelvic floor physio. I want you to just live your life, just try and work out some things. You've got a lot of stressful situations going on at the moment. And then we're just going to re, and that takes so much pressure off people as well because they always feel like they need to be doing the exercises. So it's it's about, you know, as you said, that longer, you're, you're in it for the long haul. But that end result, and, you know, Chantel and I can agree, I've seen women that have had an unable, like unable to penetrate and have been able to penetrate and have pain-free pleasurable intercourse with their partners so it is achievable it just takes a while and it's about setting I guess those expectations up from from the beginning and not just saying oh from the next session you'll be fine um you'll be you know you have to you have to just set it out but enjoy it along the way Mm. and also celebrate every little success once you get past each dilator have a little party you know have a drink enjoy yourself I think that that's the the main thing one one thing that we often find with a lot of vaginismus patients especially when it's psychological is that they're able to have pain-free sex when they've had a few glasses of wine Mm -hmm. and that they go to doctors who say just have a glass of wine and you'll be fine it's not the case we really want to make sure that we're fixing that connection between the brain and the pelvic floor Yeah. And from a fertility perspective, you know, I've had patients who have, you know, said to me, I don't want to have sex. I just want to have a baby. (laughs) And and look, some relationships, they don't necessarily want to necessarily achieve penetrative sex. And it is to some degree a weight off their shoulders when, you know, we, we try and help them through assisted reproductive technologies. And, but, you know, even if you feel like you are in this category, you know, there are elements of what I need to do to get a, a woman and a man pregnant together that are going to traumatise the situation in terms of vaginismus. For example, the way we mostly do an IUI or artificial insemination procedure or an embryo transfer procedure is using a speculum, that same instrument that we use for a pap smear that needs to be inserted vaginally and actually opened uh, significantly so we can visualise the cervix. And even a you know, very speedy fertility specialist is going to take 10 minutes to do that procedure. You know, that would be what I would expect to be the minimum. So imagine if you can't tolerate a speculum for the duration of a pap smear, then you're going to really struggle. And we, there are get arounds. We can do an IUI under a general anesthetic. We can do an embryo transfer under a general anesthetic. So I, I can employ the get arounds, but wouldn't it be kind of still wonderful if 
we can get you to your goal, achieve what you want to achieve if that's having a baby, but also help you so that those experiences throughout your life are not going to be traumatizing every time and to give you that hope and potentially enjoyable option over you know weeks months and years to have that sexual intimacy with your partner should you wish to pursue it in in the long long haul it sounds like partners are an important part of the recovery process Chantel do you often have couples come and see you regarding vaginismus or not often enough um, I know I often have the individual and I ask them if they do have a, a partner or partners to um, if we can organize a session where I am able to educate them as a team or as a group together around the condition and around how we are treating the condition and what that means. Um, and also, you know, how we can navigate a really fun, healthy sex life without having penetration. So I always incorporate partners into any type of sexual concern, um, not just uh, sexual pain. Dora, do you have any parting words of wisdom for patients with vaginismus or pelvic pain from a physio perspective? Well, I think if you've got it, then definitely seek help and there are options out there and you shouldn't live in pain. So no pain during, after intercourse or tampons um, is classified as normal. So even if you have mild pain, it's better to seek out help now to get those mild symptoms better quicker than to have extreme pain um, and get it. So, you know, as I said, you could you could have painful intercourse from the beginning of your first sexual encounter, or you can have it because of things that have happened in relationships or for no absolute reason. But if you're starting to feel like you're getting pain, that cycle is just going to keep continuing if you don't seek help. So seeking help by a GP, seeking help by a gynecologist, but you can go directly to Chantelle and I as well. We don't need a referral. And I was just about to say, um, I know Raylia spoke about uh, Medicare. So Medicare, actually, it's a great incentive. If you have vaginismus or you've, you've had or you have endometriosis or any any, any sort of gynecological problems, you're actually eligible for five Medicare subsidized sessions for pelvic floor physiotherapy, where Medicare, um, the government pays a big chunk of the therapy because it is costly, especially if it's the longevity of treatment. So there is help out there, even if someone says that they can't afford therapy, we, we have options as well. So don't let that deter you from getting help. Yeah, and your GP would just arrange a care plan. So it would be a chronic condition yeah. care plan. So touch base with your GP if you want to activate that referral Absolutely. Pathway. You get five sessions a year. Is there anything that you could be doing that you think might be helping that actually doesn't help if you are trying to self-treat vaginismus? Yeah, we've had a lot of internet and self-help and recently Netflix um, presence of different people who have different kind of ideas about what may or may not help. Can you tell us about jade eggs and insertion of yoni eggs into the vagina? Does that ever have a place? And if so, can you expand? Yeah. So, I mean, Dora and I are really against yoni eggs. We're anti-yoni eggs, anti-jade eggs, first of all, because they're not um, hygienic. So these are porous materials. We don't know where they're coming from. So from a professional perspective, all of us would agree that it's not okay to put them inside your yoni, which is your 
vagina um, because you might get infection in there. We also don't know where they're coming from, what the materials are actually made out of and who has sourced them because a lot of these materials get sourced on, you know, drop shipping sites or real mass production sites and can come from anywhere. So, um, and I think a lot of people have been using them because they've become more and more popular in the media mm. to to essentially fix our yonis, fix our vaginas. Where in, in fact, they're actually doing the opposite. Dora, maybe you can elaborate. Yeah, I just, I don't like them. I don't understand why people use them. But educating, I think, is important that they are porous. So they can increase the risk of thrush and any um, bacterial infections in the vagina. And we know that that can increase vaginismus and uh, bring on all sorts of pelvic related pain and infections and things like that as well. I don't see them. I don't use them in any sort of my pelvic therapy. I think the less devices we use, the better and the more natural and kind of the more we treat our body with our body, the better. So yes, I'm a big no. (laughs) Dora and Chantel, if our listeners would like to find out more about you and how they can seek you out for treatment, where do they go? They can just send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at A-I-S-S-M dot com dot A-U and both Dora and I can be reached on that email. You can also just follow our Instagram accounts if you want to see what we look like and our friendly faces and how we work together. So both of them will be in the show notes. Mine is at Chantel underscore Otten underscore sexologist. Dora? At physio with Dora. So physio dot with dot Dora. <laughs> it's kind of cute yeah beautiful thank you so much yeah thanks for coming on knocked up and thank you for listening to this week's episode of knocked up for more information on vaginismus Chantel and dora we'll put some links in our show notes and as always you can find us on social media and on our website and we love reading our listener reviews so if you enjoy listening to locked up please take a moment to give us five stars and give us some feedback Back soon.